Please remain standing as we continue worship with a reading from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, Welcome to church, y'all. Please have a seat. Say hello to someone next to you. There's a lot of visitors. Morning. Morning. You guys are feeling sprite today, huh? I like it. Um, Glad you're here. If you're a guest, welcome. I'm Chris. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 6. Just keep those places. We're going to come back to it. Um, Elephant in the room. It's already been acknowledged. There's a big blue tub over here. It's not an aquarium. Although that would make it more interesting. Uh, we had some like fish or like electric eels in there, something like that. Um, we're baptizing folks today. Um, baptism is something we get excited about, especially as Christians. If you're not a Christian, it's, it's actually a really weird thing. Uh, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, you might be thinking, why does someone need to get in there? Church folk have this. Let me tell you. Let me just help you out if you're not a Christian, didn't grow up in church. Church folk have this um, remarkable ability to autopilot through things like baptism or communion or worship or preaching, and you just kind of get used to it, and the relevance of it and the meaning and significance of it just doesn't really land on you, and baptism is like one of those things. For Christians, we're just like, yeah, it's totally normal. We're all in our clothes. They're in their clothes. They get in the water, and then they come out, and we watch them, and we think, yeah, it's normal. Like, what other group does this? Like, you join a soccer club, and they're like, yes, but first, go jump in this water, and we're going to watch. Like, that's weird. This is actually a weird thing, y'all. To those on the outside, it must seem like some sort of Christian hazing, right? We're like, <laughs> you know, like, feels like joining a fraternity of some sort. But so I just want to help us today, and I want to get out of the Christian bubble um, and just kind of talk about some of the kind of bizarreness of it and help us get back into the significance and the meaning of the thing. We're going to do it after all. Why don't we understand what, what's going on here? Um, to, the, to those on the outside, no, you didn't grow up in church, right? I know we're in the Bible Belt, so it might maybe, you know, but, um, you know, they have questions like, so are you swimming? No, no, no. Does it, does it do anything to them? It, it makes them wet, Yeah. <laughs> Is that normal water? Like, I didn't know if you guys were like looking at the thing, like, is that, like, does it smell funny, right? And you have to do this to be a part. Well, Jesus, yeah, Jesus told us that we have to do this. Do you do, you do everything Jesus says? Well, <laughs> a gray area, right? Baptism can be this unexamined ritual. There's like, yeah, yeah, you got to do this thing or it's not legit. You want to be legit, right? Well, you got to do the thing. It's a big deal. We don't necessarily know why, but if you don't do it, I don't think you're saved, right? Like many practices, uh, Christians can have this ability for all other practices. The practices end up, now everything, worship, reading the Bible, it ends up drifting into what only can be called superstition. You guys know what superstition is, right? (laughs) You're like, is he always this snarky? Yeah, I am. You know what superstition is? Superstition is an attempt to control things outside of your control by like 
you know, supernatural means maybe. That's what superstition is. We're trying to control things with superstition. Let me give you an example. And I tell you what, anyway, we're gonna, I'm going to go with these examples. I don't know, this might offend some people. All right, so an example of superstition is something like this. I have a scripture on my bathroom mirror every day. And I have to read it twice. And I read it twice every day. And you need to have a scripture on your mirror. And you need to read it twice every day because the one time I read it once, I got in a car accident. So you need to read your scripture twice every day. Or, oh, I have a cross hanging in my rearview mirror. And the one day I didn't have it's the day I lost my keys. So do you have a cross hanging in your rearview mirror on your car? Because that's the thing that really protects you. Dang, I knew I should have had my cross in the rearview mirror. I'd get a fender bender, right? Or, man, this day is horrible. This day is just horrible. I knew I should have rubbed my Bible on the way out. I missed it. I, mu- I went by it, didn't quite get it. I got I to gotta rub the Bible. Guys, listen, you're giggling, but this is real. All right? People, this is... Oh, spitting. Like, sup- superstition and religion have a long kind of history together, okay? Kind of co-mingling, right? And so for Christians, what this comes out being is, well, I heard one person, this is brilliant. I heard one person calling it this, story theology. You know what that is? You know what story theology is? That's theology that's upheld and proven by your stories. And thus it must be true, instead of biblical theology. <laughs> which is the character and nature of God revealed to us by the Bible. So a lot of Christians, they got lots of story theology. Well, this happened. I rubbed my Bible and this happened and it must be true. Am I stepping on too many toes? I feel like I got across the line there. Superstition and religion have just, they have a long, goes all the way back to relics. You guys familiar with relics? The Catholic church, right? Christianity fraught with superstition. If you, want to, if you want just a real creeper trip, just Google search the head of St. Catherine of Siena. Give you real sweet dreams. This kind of superstitious thing that has just always been able to weave its way into Christianity, it gets people to the point where they're saving people's heads and displaying them in units. And they say, I mean, just Google it. I mean, it'll give you nightmares. It's a, a legit woman's head in a box. It's, and, and then we say things like, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on anyone's toes, but they say things like, well, if you, you know, if you need, if you want some relic, you can go take this thing and then touch the thing. And then that thing's a relic. And then that has the power and you can pray that thing. All sorts of things come up, right? And my point is this baptism can, like many things drift. It kind of creates this life of its own in our imagine our Christian imagination of what it actually is doing. Should you do it? I don't know, but you better cover your bases, right? Now, I'm not trying to suck out the wonder and mystery and meaning of the deal. In fact, that's what we're going to press into today. I just want you to be clear about what it does and what it doesn't do. I'm trying to say, this is normal water, and you're not going to have a six-pack when you come out, okay? It's not like getting bit by a radioactive Jesus spider, although if it was, I would be in those waters, all right? No, you will still be you. Hey, I know we're laughing. Stay with me. You're still going to be you when you come out of there. You're still you. Why do it? What's the point? <laughs> Listen, all week I've been praying, Lord, please don't scare anyone away from being baptized. Like I'm just, I'm going to read the book. I'm going to read the book to you. Hopefully we're still going to get, but no, what is it? And where does this come from? And why do we do it? It's weird, y'all. Baptism was a Jewish thing long before it was a Christian thing. 
Christians have kind of, you know, it's our thing now, right? Jews baptized people a long time ago. If you were a Gentile and wanted to become a Jew, you got baptized, right? All the way back to Levitical law, ceremonial washing and cleaning was commanded to the priests as a form of baptism. In fact, it goes back further than Leviticus. It goes to Exodus, where God rescues his people through the waters of the Red Sea. There is an interesting biblical theme that goes throughout the Old Testament of being rescued through waters. It's fascinating. In the Exodus, God rescues his people through the Red Sea. Noah is rescued through the flood. Moses is rescued from the Nile as a baby. There's something about going through waters that goes all the way back to the people of God's story. A biblical thing of being rescued through the waters. God, through waters, um, being rescued through the waters comes to represent a fundamental God-breathed transformation of being transplanted out of one thing into the purposes of God. That's what you see in the Bible. Whether it's from Egyptian slavery to freedom through the Red Sea, or from the wilderness wandering to the promised land through the Jordan River. This is fascinating. Have you ever read the Bible? It's truly a remarkable book, man. It's remarkable. Like we talked about last week, we talked about the Jordan River last week, right? Later, Ezekiel prophesies to the Jewish people being gathered from exile in Ezekiel 36, 24, and he says, God's going to gather you and he's going to sprinkle clean water on you. Listen to this. And he says, you will be clean. But then he says, well, that is, that is, I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and idols. What is he getting at? He's not talking about a physical act having some sort of supernatural power. He's talking about the internal reality of your heart. He says, I'm going to sprinkle water on you. And that sprinkle is going to represent something internal going on in your heart and life, right? Cleanse you from idols. This is not an external physical thing we're talking about. We're not talking about being washed from dirt from the body. We're talking about being washed from impurities of our soul. It's a symbol. It's a realization of something happening in your heart. It's beautiful. John the Baptist shows up before Christianity. This is the birth, right? And has the baptism of what? Thank you. I knew someone. I can count on someone to do that. Repentance. What is repentance? It's an internal reality in the heart. Something has changed in you and you're jumping in these waters to represent something. And then here comes Jesus. My man shows up and he says, go. All the nations, all the peoples, all the languages, make disciples and baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is my point. Unlike many of the superstition type things that get weaven into Christianity, we see a clear biblical pattern of, uh, of baptism. So much so that we're commanded to do it, right? So on the one hand, baptism is a public act of obedience to the authority and example of Jesus. Jesus got baptized, right? So When we get baptized, when someone gets baptized, what they're saying is, I have seen something so brilliant, so worthy of praise, so worthy of admiration in Jesus that I'm willing to make myself really uncomfortable in a group of people with their clothes, and I'm going to keep my clothes, and I'm going to jump in this water because I want to follow that dude. That's what it means. In other words, the glory of being united to Jesus outshines the risk of losing cool points because it's not, it's weird, it's vulnerable, it's it's nerve-wracking. I, I guarantee the people being passive right now are like, oh, God, here it comes. We're going to do it. Okay, I got to do it, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a vulnerable position here. They're going to come up here and get in the water, and we're all going to stay dry and stare at them. So on the one hand, it's obedience to Jesus. On the other, baptism is a, here it is, external symbol of an internal reality. Okay, so again, <laughs> if you grew up as a Christian, you might have a lot of ideas and baggage about this. If you didn't, it's probably better for you. Um, but Christianity, believe it or not, has a long-standing debate about exactly what baptism does. 
Churches are formed and split over arguments about what this does. I'm telling you guys. You're like, are you serious? I'm serious, man. Christians are, okay. <laughs> does getting dunked in the water save you? If I, wait, wait, shh, just listen. If I brought my dog and dunked her in that tank, would it make her a Christian? If I took this and put it in the water, is this going to go to heaven when it dies? What if, what about, what if my dog prayed before every meal? Would that make her a Christian? No. Listen, let's just real clear here, guys. What makes you a Christian is the internal position of your heart right now towards the grace of Jesus offered to you. It's an internal reality, summed up in one word, trust. Some of you in this room trust. Some of you do not, right? What makes you a Christian is the internal abiding position of your heart before God, the position that you've chosen. Will I accept what he's been given, right? And it translates to active obedience. Water baptism is a symbol of an internal position. It's saying, I belong to another. I belong to another. It's being, it's, it's symbolic of being transplanted out of one state of being into another. Egypt, slavery, freedom, wandering in the wilderness, promised land. You're being, it's a symbol that you've been transplanted out of one thing into another. So my, my favorite thing to do with all spiritual nebulous ideas is take a physical reality uh, that we're familiar with, like baptism. Like, so we're trying to answer a question. What does it do? <laughs> what does it do? Why are we doing this? Okay, well, let's, if it's an external symbol that represents an internal reality, is there, so let's take it out of spiritual la-la land, okay? Is there any other external symbol that we can think of, that we know of, that we function, that our culture understands, that represents an internal reality? Like, for example, matching tattoos. Oh, those two are together, you know? Or, 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 or synchronized fashion. You guys seen that? You guys seen like this beautiful, cute little couple wearing the exact same outfit? You're like, oh, they're so, poor, so cute, right? It's an external ridiculousness that's representing an internal commitment and loyalty, isn't it? Okay, well, let's push aside the dumb ones. A wedding ring. Ah, there we go. Okay, thank you for that. Now, a wedding ring. A wedding ring. I got one of those right here. It's one of those little plastic ones because I just gnarl-minded. Anyway, um, this is an external thing that represents an internal reality. I think it holds up. Okay, so if it holds up, let's just say, hey, okay, we agree. I know we probably don't all agree because we're Christians, but let's just pretend that we agree that a wedding ring is similar to baptism, okay? It's an external symbol of an internal reality. Okay, so let's ask some practical questions. Like I was just asking, right? Does a wedding ring make you married? If someone else puts on my wedding ring, are they married to Allison? I'm like, no, 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 right? No, no, right? What about, what about if I lose my ring? What if I lose my ring? Am I still married? I don't know, dude. Uh, you better ask your wife about that, right? Right, right? right? Am I still married if I lose my... What if I take it off? Am I now not married for the moment? No. Okay, what about this? What is, does, here's, I'm a, let's just keep going, okay? Does reading your wedding vows make you married? Now think about it. Okay, it's like a sacred ceremony. It's like before God and others. I do, right? Yeah, that, wait, is that the thing that makes you married? So if some schmuck walks in my room and reads my wedding vows on my wall, is he then married to my wife? 
babe, I'm sorry. <laughs> he walked in. He said it before I could stop him. All right? Right. Okay, listen, I'm glad, I'm glad you're laughing, but I'm trying to show you something. See, I'm not married right now, I guess. I'm trying to show you something, man. The anxiety that Christians live in when they adopt this kind of ridic- ridiculous superstition idea of what it means to be a Christian. Do you, how fragile is your walk with God? If it's, say, it's a house of cards, is, does my love for my wife, how, is it that fragile? That it's taken from me if I just lose this stupid thing? No! It's an external symbol that represents an internal reality. The internal reality is that I have pushed aside every other loyalty. I've resisted all the dumb lusts that want to come up my heart. And I've been loyal to her and her alone. Plus, she's smoking hot, right? And so that's, that's what keeps me married. It's not as fragile as something like that. I'm telling you, baptism is a symbol of something going on in your heart. You could, and here's, here, if you want the theological thing, okay, well, the guy on the cross, next to the guy, next to Jesus, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Did he get dunked? No, he didn't get dunked. Okay, so that's just the Christian, that's how Christians hear that stuff. But you, you understand what I'm saying? Now, let's just like get it to our life, okay? How much anxiety do you walk in as a Christian when you're wondering, am I in God's good graces? Have I done the right thing? This is where we live. Am I doing enough? Am I trying hard enough? Have I read enough? Have I done all these things? And let me just tell you something right now. You know what that does to you? That takes your source of salvation off of the cross and puts it on you. You then become the source of salvation. That's not, that's not faith through grace. It's not the gospel. The gospel, our, our confidence, y'all, is not in our ability to hang on. Like, if it's it, I'm out. I ain't got like a little, little ability. Dude, our confidence lies in the strength of God to hang on to us. That's the gospel. That someone stronger than me has rescued me, and now I'm going to obey in obedience. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. I'm going to get myself dunked, all right? It's an internal substance, faith, trust, represented by an external symbol. So if you, know, if you, if you might have forgotten at this point, we actually opened our Bibles. So let's just go and read it real quick, all right? Romans 6, are we there? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. We've got two. We're going to start with Romans 6. Um, all, all of that ridiculous was just set the stage for this. The symbol doesn't do anything in and of itself. It represents something else. Now, when you come to the New Testament, uh, what you're going to find are people over and over again are going to talk about baptism retrospectively. Okay? This is what you're going to find in the New Testament when it comes to baptism. You're going to find things like this. Don't you know that when you were baptized, you guys ever read this bit? It's pretty reoccurring, actually. It happens quite a bit. They say, hey, listen, when you were baptized, you were, it's past tense, retrospective. And they're telling the people who have been baptized, and they're saying, hey, when you did that, you were doing this. This was the symbol of what was supposed to happen. Now, let me just ask you a question real quick before we get to it. Why would someone do that? Why would someone say, hey, when you were dunked into this thing, you were actually dunked into this thing? So why would someone say that? Well, they would say that because it's clear that the internal reality that the external symbol was supposed to represent has been lost. So if I go to my brother and I say, hey, dude, listen, I notice you're still wearing your wedding ring, but you don't seem to understand that wearing that, wearing that wedding ring means that you're laying down your life for your girl like Christ did for the church. Let's chat. What am I saying? I'm saying you've disconnected the external reality from the internal substance, the external symbol from the internal substance. And so I say, hey, you know when you put on that wedding ring, this is what you were saying. So 
In the New Testament, what's happening is the authors are addressing something that wasn't connecting for the people. They had done an external thing, an external symbol, that the internal reality was not, it wasn't backing it up. You understand what I'm saying? Trying to say at least. So in Romans 6, here we go. If we think baptism, what are we baptized into? Love, joy, peace. I mean, come on, I'll take that. Praise his name. I want some of that. But let's just see what the Bible says we're baptized into. It might surprise you. Romans 6, 3, verses 3 and 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Hmm. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this is interesting. A second ago, Chris, you were saying it's like a wedding, but this is saying it's a funeral. Which one is it? Apparently, it's both, right? Everyone loves transformation stories. Don't we love transformation stories? I lost 100 pounds, right? I, I uh, fix her up, right? This is a trashy house, and now it's amazing, right? Everyone, what, what actually we really love seeing transformations. I don't think a lot of us love the process of transformation because anyone who's ever remodeled a house or lost 100 pounds knows that it was death, right? It was a form of death. <laughs> and here, I mean, seriously, have you ever tried to lose 100 pounds? You know what I'm saying? That was a form of death, Right? And here Paul is addressing a massive biblical reality. The wider context of Romans 6 is they had a bunch of religious people that were tolerating sinful attitudes and blatant hypocrisy. Look at Romans 2. And he's saying, you guys want the benefit of resurrection, but you don't want to endure any sort of death. And he's saying, don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized first and foremost into his death? What does that mean, into his death? Baptism reminds us of this. Every single one of you, me included, guy with the mic, has a side of you that you are ashamed of. It's the side of you that continually screws up. It's the side of you that's continually drawn to that same dumb, sinful behavior that you can't seem to shake no matter what you do. It's the side of you that's selfish. It's the side of you that would abandon others to despair, to secure your own well-being. We all have that side, don't we? Some of us are really going really well with that side of us. The insecure, selfish side of us. All of us has a side of us that routinely sabotages your relationships. And you're confused because every relationship seems to get sabotaged. And you're wondering, all these people must be dummies. Or it's the side of you that's sabotaging. Okay. All right, we, we got that side. We, have, we, have we identified that side? Thanks for that, Chris. Yes. Okay, Jesus is saying, that side of you, I will give you a way out. Jesus is, guys, this is, the, this is the claim. The claim is that that side of you, that you're ashamed of, that fills you with guilt when you think of the things that side of you did, right? He's saying, Jesus, the offer of baptism, the offer of the cross is, I will take the dark side of you onto myself. This is the claim of Jesus, y'all. Dude, God doesn't forgive you by just opening the rug and pushing it under the rug. That's not grace. That's not forgiveness. Jesus offers to take that dark side of you onto himself. And when you were baptized, Paul is reminding you, you were baptized into that death. He took that away from you. And the offer on the table today for everyone in this room is that he will take it away from you if you will let him. And I understand, I don't know you, man, Chris. You don't know the things I've been doing. I don't know they've got me. I'm telling you, 
This is the supernatural mystery of becoming a Christian and following Jesus. It's the offer on the table. All of us have things about us that have to die. And if they do not die, they will kill you in the end. And the offer of Jesus, the offers of Romans 6 is this insane offer that Jesus apparently is offering to us. He's saying, instead of your sins killing you, I'll let them kill me. He offers to take our sins on himself and let them kill him instead. And we get to participate in his life and power and love. Yes and amen. But the door of that is death. The door of participation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, of the life of God, the mission of God in the world, the door, that door is death. It's not your death, praise his name. It's the death of Jesus. Are we tracking? And it's a standing offer. I don't care how long you've been in church. Give your darkness to Jesus. Isn't that weird? Don't we think, Chris, I thought we're supposed to give our good stuff to Jesus. Like we do all the good things and we say, see, I did all the good things. Mm -mm, That's not first. No, what's first is you give your darkness to him. So right now, I just want to just, like, breathe. Right? Like, this is why I've never got this stupid, I'm fine, you're fine, everyone's fine, Christian plastic thing. Like, the whole idea is that we have junk in our lives that we, can, we couldn't get underneath, and Jesus offers to take it from us. I don't know why we just pretend everything's fine when it's not. I've just never understood it. It's like the gospel has not landed on your heart. Dude, we're here because we were raising our hands saying, I'm under something that I can't get out from under. And Jesus came along and said, I will take that off of you. And I said, yes, please. And the rest of my life is a wake of that decision, right? So I've never understood it. So one of the first things that I want to point out of baptism is that symbolism that it points to you. See, it's an outward symbol. Yes, but there's an inward symbol. That if it's lost on us, we miss the whole thing. Now, what's the other one? Let's go down and look at the Corinthians one. Then we'll, then we'll dunk some people. Then we're going to do the thing. All right? Let me, let me read this about the Romans 6 one, and then we'll scoot on. Sorry. Baptism, therefore, is a declared intention to increasingly and routinely give our darkness to Jesus and increasingly and routinely Say yes to vulnerable, accountable relationships that support and encourage his new life in us. Yeah. When we go under the water, we acknowledge that for a rebellious, crooked humanity, it's only through death that we can enter into life. The death of Christ. This is what Christians believe, right? And I just want us, as we get to participate with other people today in the baptism, I I want when they go down and they come up, like I want us to sit with this idea, which for me is like this like massive religious pressure valve release of I don't have to have it all together. We try, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? When we dunk people, what we're saying is we gotta die to live. And there's parts of every single one of us that we're not proud of. And what we get to rejoice in today is the offer of Jesus to take that part away from us. Some of you, for the first time today, may be saying, I've never heard the gospel in that way. I always thought that we, you had to do these stuff. You had to do the thing. And then, you, and then like, you, you, know, like you do the thing, and then you're safe. No, 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 no. Salvation comes first. And it's the act, supernatural act of God that we receive and then live out of obedience of that salvation. So what's the other thing? Corinthians, I'll do this really, really fast. The first Corinthians 12, 13 is this. What else are we baptized into? For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. 
So Paul's reminding us that when you're baptized, remember, did you, did you see the past tense? Did you see it? The retrospective? For in one spirit, we were all baptized. He's saying, this is the thing that happened to you. And there's kind of two things I want to point out. Number one, you're baptized into a body. That means that no matter what your social standing is, no matter what your political agendas are, whatever, Jews, Greeks, slaves, freemen, whatever, all the, th- all the different spectrums that we come from, he's trying to remind us that when you're baptized, you're baptized into a family. Therefore, no matter what your background is, you have a place in the family. This whole chapter is about the body of, of, of Christ, right? And all these different parts work together and they, and they harmonize underneath this one mission. What was happening in Corinth when the scripture was written is you have salvation across all these social classes, right? Jews, Greeks, slaves, um, super, super wealthy people, super, super poor people. And you had these wealthy aristocrats getting saved in Corinth who were sitting by their neighbor's slaves at church, right? And big surprise... Pride, class arrogance, right? Insecurity, political superiority, right? Mixed with a little ethnocentric thing, sentiment was causing division in the church. And so what Paul is saying is, hey man, remember, when you were baptized, when you went down, you were, you were being transplanted from isolation into a family, which means look around. It means we got people. It means that you're not alone anymore. It means that in this fight, we're all just trying to keep our head above the water. We got people next to us that can throw a rope to us when we need it, Right? It means you're not alone. This is huge for me. Maybe it's not huge for you. It's like, oh, thank you, God, right? Do you have anyone in your life that can bear your weight? Do you have anyone in your life that you can lean on? If you've been baptized, you got someone. Like you're, you're in a family, right? Now, sometimes Christians don't act like it. Sometimes we're insecure and all the things come out. But I'm telling you, this is the ideal we're striving for. You've been baptized in a family where we lean on one another and we help each other out, right? And the second thing about this that I just want to point out is he points out, so you were baptized into one spirit. That means that this new family that you're baptized into, that you can now lean on these people, there's to be one marker of this family, one distinguishing factor of this community. You know what it is? Saturated with the Holy Spirit. We are to be people. We are to be a community who function within the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It means that the manifest characteristics that come out of us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, we don't get to take the credit for. It means that we get to say, man, all that stuff's coming from God and it's coming out for you and we're serving one another, loving one another, and all the glory goes to one, the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. It's how we can, this is how we can get to the end of our life, wear ourselves out for the gospel, wring our lives out, serve the poor, give money, all these sorts of things. We can get to the end of our life, and at the end of our life, what do we do? We throw our crowns down before the lamb because all of it was his doing, right? Who was pushing? You or Jesus? Yes. Who sacrificed? You or Jesus? Yes. You see? It's both and. It's not all one and all. It's both and. And that's how we get to the end of our life and still say he gets all the glory. Man, this is good stuff, right? Come on, man. All right. Last thing, and then we'll, then we'll dunk. You guys get, I'm, I want to get in the water now. Man. I'm excited. I was, I was afraid I was going to scare you away, but I'm excited. I want to get in there. All right. Um, last thing. The word used in the New Testament for, for baptism is, let me get it. Okay. Baptizo. Well, that makes sense. Kind of sounds like it. Here's the thing, though. They could have used the word babto. Do you know what babto means? It means to dip. They use the word baptizo. You know what that means? To pickle. Yeah. To pickle. Now, if you're not a homesteader, let me remind you of what pickling means. All right? Pickling is a process in which there's one element, vinegar, 
and it fully unites and permeates another element, a cucumber, and actually changes the constitution of the vegetable. It is no longer a cucumber. It is now a pickle. It has been altered. It's an irreversible process, huh? which changes. I mean, have you, had, have, you, have you had a cucumber? Have you had a pickle? Are they the same thing? No. All right. <laughs> Paul is saying, in baptism, we're seeing a picture, a symbol of how the Holy Spirit longs to engage with you. Don't you know that when you were baptized into the waters, you went in dry and came up wet completely? That's why we're like, we're going to fully dunk these people. We're not going to sprinkle. No, no, no. We're going to fully dunk. All right? They're going to walk up dry, and they're going to walk out weighing like 15 more pounds, fully saturated. Okay, do you see the picture? Okay, that's how the Holy Spirit wants to engage in your life. Okay? Not in small, isolated pockets of half measures, a little here, a little there, but fully, comprehensively, wholly transformative. The Holy Spirit wants access to every part of you. And when we're, what we're about to do is see a symbol of that. God wants to be in your life like that, fully engaged. We read the Psalm earlier, 139, before. You hem me in before and behind. It's the presence of God longing to be so engaged in your life. Where's God starting? Where do I end? Oh, man, I, it's there. The line's there. But we're united. This is the picture of the New Testament, completely saturated with the Holy Spirit, just like water is about to soak these people. When you say yes to being, Christ, being a Christian, what you're saying yes to is being completely saturated with the Holy Spirit so that he changes the constitution of your being and you become something else altogether that gives glory to God in every form and fashion. So if you've ever been baptized, this is what you were getting baptized into, whether you knew it or not. And today... I hope that we can feel the intensity and the power of the declaration. And I hope uh, your heart all the more wants to jump in these waters, especially if you're getting baptized. But here's the thing. This is what I know right now. I know there are people in this room um, who you need to make a choice. I, I think there are people in this room right now uh, that have been on the verge of a decision uh, for a long time. There's been something that you know needs to mark What's going on? You want to be transplanted out of something into something else, but you feel all these obstacles. I just want to say this right now, dude. Um, without compulsion, without, we're not going to play any silly music right now. If you, if you want to get baptized today, if you need a flag in the ground to say, I want to belong to Jesus and I want him to belong to me. I've been on the outside, but I'm ready, I'm ready to, to do this. You, dude, listen, you can, we got extra towels. Like, you can come up here, Okay. Wow, okay. So, um, without compulsion, without anything, if you are getting baptized today, come on up. And if you want to get baptized today, but haven't told anyone, come on up. Come on up. Come on up to the stage. Come on, y'all. Can we turn these lights on, John? How we doing? Good. Okay, so this is what we'll do right now, just so we know who's who. I'm going to give you guys the mic, and all you got to do is just tell us your name, okay? Tell us your name. Eleanor. Hey, Eleanor. Jolie. Uh-huh. Can I hold it? Yes, you can. Um, Wesley. Yeah. Bridget. David. Awesome. All right, guys. Um, I'm going to ask you guys some questions, okay? 
Uh, we, we obviously today, you know, we want you to know what you're getting into. Um, and these questions are, are theological in nature. Uh, they're, they're things that we think it's really important that your heart resounds with if you're going to be a Christian, because this is going to be the trajectory of your life if you're going to follow Jesus. There are going to be truths in these questions that you will press into for the rest of your life. There's never going to be a time as a Christian you won't need to be pressing into these realities, okay? So I'm going to ask you, I think it's six questions. The first three, you're going to respond with, I do, okay? And it's going to be up on the screen. And here's the deal. All you out there, y'all can respond too. All right, let's help them out. Y'all with me? I mean, if you're a Christian, all right, if you're in on this, don't lie, but if you're a Christian, all right, all right, here we go. Here's our first question. This, these, again, these first, you're going to say, I do, if, you, if you're in, okay? Here's the first question. Do you believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth? I do. We got a lot of Christians in here. That's cool, all right? Do you believe in God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, who was, convinc- who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit? Born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, who descended into death, and on the third day rose again, who ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's a big one, y'all. All right. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting? I do. Yeah. Okay. So... These are things that I think you'll agree are issues that you're going to have to tease out for the rest of your life if you're going to be a Christian, what these things mean. I hope, you're, I hope you're struggling through some of these things. All right, now, these next three questions are, you're going to answer with, it is, because I'm asking you about your intentions. These are things you w- will do, okay? And it's going to be, it is with God's help, okay? Y'all good? Here we go. Is it your intentions to step into these waters of your own free will to be counted among the family of God from this day forth and forevermore? Yes. All right. Is it your heart's desire to turn from darkness and whenever you fall into sin to repent and place your confidence in the grace of God? It is with God's help. Okay, I'm going to need God's help on that one too. Is it your heart's desire to hear and obey the voice of God in Scripture and in Christian community? Yeah. It is good job. Love it, buddy. Okay, last one. Is it your heart's desire to daily grow in your love and affections for God? It is All right, let's get baptized. Let's go over here. Come on, y'all. So we're going to come over and line up here. Wesley, you want to go first, buddy? Yes. All right, dude, he's ready to go, man. There's this uh, scripture in the middle of a book called Lamentations, real chipper. Uh, and uh, in the middle of this like horribly depressing book is this wonderful scripture that says, his mercies are new every morning. Um, uh, some people are starting a new journey today. That's super exciting, isn't it? Uh, But I think there's parts of us, many of us in this room, that would say, I need a little newness um, in my journey. I'm feeling a bit dry and stagnant. And if I could just have some of that newness of a new journey just rub off on me, maybe it'll catalyze me uh, to be doing the things that I know I ought to be doing. Um, If if that's you today, just just raise your hand. Just want some newness. Go ahead, man. That's all right. We're family. It's all good. All right, so let's pray. Jesus, I ask over those who have just said, I need a new, I need a new journey to start. 
I need, I need the death of some old stuff and the birth of some new stuff. Holy Spirit, would you come? God, would you empower and give and guide? And right now, Holy Spirit, fill um, with your strength, God, um, onto something new. And thank you, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters today who have declared intent to follow you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would strengthen their efforts for the rest of their life. God, guard and keep them. God, that they may stand among the saints one day and throw everything they have of value before uh, the Lamb of God and say, you alone and you alone deserve worthy and praise and honor and power. Jesus, thank you. And let me pray these things. Amen.